0: Chapter 3, Narshada. The Dway pulls out of hyperspace and arrives in the now-Hudda system over Narshada, the smuggler's moon. Buck mentions that it is often called Little Coruscant because it is similarly a giant moon-sized city of skyscrapers upon sky slums. There is no vegetation. Nar Shadda is a main stop on the hyperlane known for its black market's and nefarious murderers, smugglers, and assassins. There are various freighters and fighters flying in and out of orbit. VOD pulls out the beacon tracker and sees the light blinking quickly. The map overlay indicates the transponder is in the Karelian district of Narshida. Flying down through the clouds of the urban moon, they gaze below to the awesome sight of the overbuilt, sleepless metropolis. They cruise over and through towering skyscrapers of corporations and crime syndicates alike. Casinos, technology shops, and spice houses are intermixed above the din of an impoverished and dangerous undercity of gangsters, pirates, and slavers. An array of freighters, starships, and star yachts are flying about, some docked. Many of the ships look cobbled together with odd parts. There are, however, no Imperials in sight. Dropping through traffic, Ted pulls into Docking Bay 24, one bay down from the Carillion District, where the signal is pinging from Vod's transponder. There are numerous alien denizens milling about. In the shadows, an Aqualish is selling death sticks, as a Duros on the platform haggles with some humanoids and species they have never seen. The denizens are all of all sizes and wear exotic outfits and space suits as they go about their business. Some are muscled, some possess multiple arms, but all of them appear quite rough and able to handle their own in a fight. After landing, Vaude pulls out the transponder tracking gear. The blinking appears to be coming from a level or two above them, towards the large structure of Docking Bay 23. Heading towards the main entrance, Vod leads as Roquan trails, cautiously watching for trouble or tails. Once in Docking Bay 23, and having ascended a couple levels, Vod rounds the corner to find a filthy disposal unit. The transponder signal appears to be coming from within. Not hesitating, Vod hops in and rummages while Roquan stands on overwatch, rifle-shouldered. Inside, there is some deep-fried meat on a maggoty bone and a used diaper for a four-legged species. There are some syringes with unknown fluid inside. Near the bottom, he finds it, a small electronic device. He passes it to Roquan and hops out of the dumpster, calling back to the team about their discovery. The team moles why this beacon would be at the bottom of a dumpster to no immediate avail. Seeking further clues, the team befriending a somewhat dull and somewhat more intoxicated dockhand by the name of Killswitch. The PCs are able to barter one of their holdout blasters for access to Docking Bay 23's security tapes. Our heroes are able to view grainy footage images recorded by these security cams from a week ago. One particular image on the security tapes catches their eye. In this grainy recording, they see a YT-2000 light freighter. This freighter looks identical to the one seen briefly in the Vector video they had watched at Daj with Ember. Looking closely at the dorsal aspect of the YT-2000 light freighter, they spot a design that looks like a dragon in a figure-eight shape with a circle intersecting. Buck's breath catches in his throat as he recognizes this symbol as a gang symbol from a group called Cordell's Chain of the Outer Rim. Buck feels a discomfort in his chest, fear. Cordell's Chain is a particularly dangerous gang known for their ruthless and merciless methods. As the PCs further scrutinize the lo fi video, They see three figures emerge from the YT-2000 light freighter. All of these figures are wearing matching jackets with the similar Cordell's chain emblem upon them. There is a verpine and two large hoax. One of the hoax has a sizable burlap sack over his shoulder. They walk down the ship's ramp across the docking bay floor and go off-screen. Vaad becomes furious at the sight of the hoax. He explains to the rest of the PCs how the hoax had colonized Sri Lur, his homeworld, and how they received covert support from the Empire in the genocidal war against the Weequay people, his people. He recognizes one of the hoax leaving the ship as a senior lieutenant in the Hokian occupational force, named Fige Toasts, a ruthless Hoke whose forces Vod had combated personally in the Weekwe Hoke War. After weighing their options and still without clear direction as to where to find Vector, the heroes decide to find their contact on Narshada, Muki a valuable rebel sleeper cell alluded to earlier by Ember. Discovering the location of the Queen Bacta Clinic where Muki works in the Corellian District, they leave their ship and head out on foot. A short while later, they find the clinic and walk into the back room. There, they are greeted by a polis masson, a short humanoid with a blank, featureless face, save two beady black eyes. You're Muki, right? Asks Buck. Welcome. I am Muki Mozu, she greets them. Let's talk business. Curiously, she has no mouth, and her voice comes in a somewhat electronic warble from a device around her neck. She leads them back into a more private space filled with machines, monitors, and other medical devices. I was informed of your arrival from a mutual friend, Ember. She explained that she is from the asteroid field Polis Massa, and that she is a pacifist. Mookie informs them that her people have been secretly supporting the Alliance since the genocide on Camino 2. Ted inquires as to the state of affairs on Nar Shaddaa. Mookie gives him an expressionless look. I have been around for only nine months in the Karelian sector and busy with this clinic. I don't know. They describe the events of Vector and the identification of Cordell's chain on the responsible freighter. Muki shares the affiliation of Cordell's chain with the Huts, who dominate commerce and life entirely on this moon. Vod described the hoax and Mookie confirms that any hoax are likely part of the gang. She suggests they may find more information, or gossip at least, at a local cantina called the Orange Lady. The adventurers hatch a plan to go to the Orange Lady cantina and poke around. Mookie suggests, somewhat mysteriously, that she has heard that if someone wants information at the Orange Lady, they should play the shell game. She also says that they love gambling there, pod racing, hologram boxing, you name it. Mookie provides some healing for Buck, and they invite her to join them in their investigation. Outside of Queen Bacta, the surrounding city is a towering jungle of vertical buildings. The Orange Lady is in the Karelian Sector, but many levels down. Mookie hails Trippies Cab Service. From out of traffic, an airspeeder rounds the corner, just missing a sign and a mother with a small child. It whips around and the cockpit pops open. I'm Triplex Winston. I'll be your driver. Oh, hey, Mookie. Triplex Winston is a Zexto and has six arms, two that function as feet. Mookie provides the destination. "'Strap in. It may be a bumpy ride. Here we go!' The taxi dives straight down, picking up tons of speed, diving between cars, barely missing other ships. One hand is driving, one hand holding a drink, and another hand is on the radio dials. Triplex barrel rolls, flipping around traffic, appearing to barely pay attention. Roquan, who didn't put on any seatbelt, falls to the roof of the cab. And here we are, the Orange Lady!' joyfully announces triplex. Mookie pays him, and he is off. Entering the cantina, and bathed in the tunes of Robobon, a multi-headed musical worm, the PCs scope out the orange lady, looking for clues. The place is moderately full. There is a Togruta in a haze of smoke towards the back. Two Rodians at the bar immersed in conversation, an aqualish bartender polishing glasses. Three Duro's pilots hunkered along a wall, several Imperials drinking and ignoring the other non-humans, and a group of Wookiees standing watchfully in the back. Eavesdropping and talking with various patrons, the PCs ultimately find themselves directed to the back corner of the bar. Here, in a smoky, dark booth, a pair of yellow eyes peer back at them through the haze. I am Shell, Shell Sterling. The PCs stare as the elderly, this Piesian, uncoils his serpentine body, stroking his long beard sagely. He states that he has been waiting for them, and he will offer assistance. However, you must either pay or play. He puts several pairs of Hintaro dice on the table in front of them. Collectively realizing that this must be the Shell game, the PCs each introduce themselves in turn to Shell, who nods knowingly. Vod states he is looking for information about the Cordol's chain gang. Shell takes a big hit from a pipe in a turtle shell shaped cup. He agrees to share his knowledge if they can win a game of Hintaro. They agree each taking turns rolling and replacing one die of choice. In the end, Vod wins, with a cool row, coolro pair. Shell nods and reaches out, grabbing Vod's hands in his. Shell's eyes roll back in his head. I believe I have some answers for what you seek, he murmurs slowly, blowing out more smoke. In a trance-like state, he begins. Frozen throws round tricky locks while guardians growl with hackled hawks. The queen will feed her hunting hive who pray the prey is still alive. Singing legs send soaring tunes, a hymn of death to please the doomed. The hut makes puppets of them all, an Ardo star of Beck and Call. Dog eat dog will slay the meek, a smoky blind, a fearsome speech. Doctor, doctor, come, and quick, stone and glass, a sorcerer's trick. Roaches rest in gruesome grime, the silent sneak of vile verpine. When Cordal's chain is wrapping tight, beware the tricks beyond your sight. The gas, the trap, the net, the tough. Watch your step, it's getting rough. Quarry's quick, like Goto's lore, Was over there, but left, before. Cordell's gang likes drink and spice, And bets inside the loaded dice. Ord Mantell will surely win, But read the room for Crimson Zin. In the final stanza of Shell's speech, he points in the direction of a table behind them in The Orange Lady. The one you seek the forces show, the hunter's name, Zin-Zin Skyvo. While Shell speaks, a pen floats in the air, writing his words. On paper, a pen controlled by no one, but moving rapidly. The paper slowly drifts to Vaud's hands. Shell Sterling asks if there are any more questions they seek. Vaud inquires into the cost of a fortune. Vaud agrees to the fee, and the others also decide that they would like to hear their fortunes as well. Shell enters another trance and grasps each of their hands in turn, closing them in his scaly claws. One by one, he provides their fortune. For Vod, shadow makes for scented slice, one, two, one, two, to render thrice. Your home a teetering precipice of sand and sun of boyhood bliss. The teacher takes, but doesn't know. Protect the rest, absorb the blow. When fallen mentors become a ghost, Sanity fades at death's encroach. Find and win and heal and slay Where evil blooms a foul bouquet. For Buck. Father, please hear me speak. Another day, the death of me. To leave behind a falsehood vain may mean a chance to live again. But stash me in this dying place. No clothes, no food, no friends or space. I'll die before I live again, arisen strong from name and men. To smash the legs from out the hulk and slash the belly of Birthing's colt. For Ted. Yellow eyes see green and death. Mechanics fail, as does the breath. Cat and mouse and mouse and cat. The maker takes when builders spat. Trial of wind, make the move. Or circle past again, you lose. The pen upon a cursed page Depicts a wrath, a wretch. But pray, when all is lost, the arrow slays. For Muki, early entry inside this place, water breathes itself to space. Life creates it, makes it grow. Midi Chlorian ratio, a fractal sees a spectral form. Curve and twists until it's born. Dark and light, a circle one. Your sacrifice ignites the sun. Roquan, scoping out the rest of the bar, sees the PCs gathered at the hazy table in the back and comes over. He asks Shell if he can get a half-reading for half the credits. Shell shakes his head no. Roquan pays him in full. Shell holds out his hand and pulls the coins from Roquan with unseen force. They spin in the air in front of all of them while Shell takes a big drag on his turtle pipe. For Roquan. The clatter, plastoid, mercenary male evil gasps behind the veil. Return! Revenge! Revenge! are all the same. The force remorse, eternity bane. On distant world, where maps are rend, sanctuary, peaceful master's den. Justice, cruelty, in stasis plain, dark arise, if anger's flame. The path ahead, in conflict writ, a Jedi axe with force, a lit. With his hand enfolded in shells, Roquan reaches out with the force, feeling for Shell's emotional state. Roquan feels the warmth of a spring day with the sun kissing his body. He feels a sense of peace, like a lake without ripples, a warm light of stillness. He lets go. You were far too kind. Consider yourselves all new friends of mine. Shell turns and stares directly at Roquan. Let the light guide you. Follow the light. Roquan feels a warmth again. Then it is gone. After their encounter with Shell, the PCs spread out again in the bar to look for any residual clues regarding Zinzin Skyvo, Cordell's Chain, or the presence of Vector. Ted Yedman, a drawling voice from behind Ted says as a broad hand slaps Ted on the shoulder. I haven't seen you in a long time. Ted turns to face a man dressed in a similar stetson as Ted's and wearing a similar leather space jockey suit. Oops. Sorry. I mistook you. You sure did look like him with that hat and blaster. Who are you? Asks Ted. I'm Zeke Wrangler. Ted Yedman was an old friend of mine. I'm Sin, says Ted, to the rest of the party's shock. Oh, guess I had too much to drink, the stranger mumbles as he turns back to the bar, a forlorn expression on his face. Ted turns away from the group, appearing very uncomfortable. He wanders off to go talk with a group of rhodians. Before he does, Ted turns to the group and says, Guys, I'm feeling like we got to get out of here. And hey, please don't call me Ted in front of him. He pleads, pointing at Zeke Wrangler. Roquan leans into Buck. What's going on with Ted? I have a feeling he's not who he says he is, replies Buck. Over at a side table, Ted strikes up a conversation with Rodians. He points across the bar at Zeke and asks about him. The Rodians tell him that Zeke Wrangler used to be a bounty hunter. He belonged to a group called the Sons of Fortune that apparently now have disbanded. They tell Ted, You look a lot like him, with that hat of yours. Are you a Sons of Fortune, too? No, not at all, claims Ted. Just a similar appearance, I guess. Suddenly, and upsetting the relative peace of the Orange Lady Cantina, Vaad encounters an Imperial in the bathroom. Unable to resist the opportunity, Vaad attempts to strangle him with his garrote. The officer cries for help, and a deadly brawl ensues, with the PCs emerging victorious. With the blood of Imperial officers and engineers literally on their hands, and for self-preservation the heroes scatter from the Orange Lady and into an adjacent alley where they regroup and recall Shell's prophecy. The heroes decide to seek Zinzin at the place where Shell told them he would be, the loaded dice. From Zinzin, the heroes hope they will find more clues regarding the location of Vector with information vital. To the rebellion. The group decides to call Trippy and his cab again. As they await the arrival of the Zexto, the group confronts Ted on his previous interaction with Zeke Wrangler, the Setson wearing character at The Orange Lady. Ted responds Look, guys, basically, my name's not Ted. I took Ted's clothing and identity a long time ago, a decade ago. It's just been that way, he drifts off. He's been dead a long time. I thought it'd be easier being him than me. Buck asks why he took the stranger's identity. He was a bounty hunter after some guy. The other guy killed Ted, so I took his clothes. Found Ted Yedman's identification then took his ship and never looked back. He removes his red-tinted specks, looking his friends in their eyes. My name is Luz, but I've been going for Ted Yedman for so long. Well, maybe just call me Sin while we're here, as in Sindesi, my last name. What do you think about that Zeke guy back there? asks Buck. Ted shrugs. Maybe I'll have to look into the Sons of Fortune later, he replies. Out in the street, a taxicab comes spinning downwards from above, not using the usual driving lanes. It's weaving between awnings, nicking a neon sign, and flying downward towards the heroes. It jerks to a halt in front of the group. It's trippy. The group hires him for a trip to the loaded dice bar. A thrumming hive of hollow gladiatorial superfans and hooligans, the Loaded Dice, a huge bar deep in Narshada Undercity, opens its doors to our sleuthing PCs. Amidst a mass of all varieties of aliens, some clad in red, cheering the Tatooine Rontos, and some green, cheering the Ordmentelian Savrips, the adventurers seek any sign. Of the verpine, Zinzin Zin skyvo, as they did in the orange lady, the group fans out across the two floors of the loaded dice bar, briefly interacting with an ugnot arms dealer, a besilisk bartender, a drunken abyssian, not to mention Roquan being foe seduced and pickpocketed by some lovely Twileks. Ted stumbles upon a Shondrafan informant. I'm Wilson, says the Shondrafan. And if you want to know something, I'm the guy to ask. Ted probes for information on their quarry. Golly, I'd like to give you some information, but (laughs) I'm fresh out of credits. I'm feeling kind of dumb without credits in my hand, says Wilson. Buck overhears the start of this conversation and joins Ted and this tiny Chandra fan. He hands Wilson 10 credits. Tell me everything you know, says Buck. Wilson replies, Here's what I'll tell you that's worth 10 credits. The Rontos over here, they suck, but they might win tonight. And Zinzin Zin Skyvo is one of the major bounty hunters in the Cordol's chain. Zinzin works for Jabba the Huts clan, the desilogic Kajitic. Word on the street is they're looking for new ways to preserve captives on the cheap. So you know what they do? They use psilocyte, borganite, you know, cheaper gases like that, and they just capture people to test out new forms of preserving captives. Carbonite is so expensive, you can't blame them. Where are they? Ted interjects. Oh, I'm not sure. My my hands are empty again, says Wilson. Buck frowns, but puts more credit in Wilson's hands. Wilson goes on. Deal. Okay, so you want to know where they're located. Well, Cordell's chain works out of warehouses around the city. The warehouses, as a standard, tend to be in the lowest levels... They're rough places. Zinzin lives in a safe house with his posse. It's right next door to a place called Falconer's Garage, which is next door to a place called the Slag Pit. You didn't hear it from me, but that's where you'd find Zinzin. Bucks thanks him, ruffling the fur on his head. As the hollow gladiator match comes to a bloody end, and the opposing fans erupt into a bottle-throwing, chair-smashing brawl. Vod, from his position of Overwatch, spies a verpine, several hooks, and a team of aqualish heading out the bar. They each are wearing a red jacket, with the now-familiar figure-eight double-dragon patch on the back. Vod signals to the rest of the party through his comm. I've found Zinzin. Repeat, I found Zinzin. Zin. Pushing their way through the mass melee mayhem and keeping the exiting Verpine and his posse in their sights, the heroes hail Trippy Winston, idling in a cab outside the bar, and speed down through the Narshida underbelly, following Zinzin's speeder. Unfortunately, the crafty Zinzin. Zin is a good pilot and he's able to shake their pursuit. Ultimately, the PCs elect to stake out Zinzin's abode, reviewing the information that Ted had just gotten from the Shadrafan Wilson and speeding straight to Falconer's garage and the Slag Pit Bar. They are somewhat relieved upon arriving on the dark and dirty Understreet to find Zinzin's hideout sandwiched between the bar and the garage to appear dark and quiet. Enough time, they pray, to snoop and sneak and maybe even find information on Vector before Zinzin arrives back home. Ingratiating themselves with the Kalkarin owner of Valconer's garage, the PCs manage to borrow a ladder and attempt to break into Zinzin's abode. Trying their skullduggery skills, the heroes are unsuccessful to break into any doors or windows of the upper floors of the safe house, Muki even earning herself a blaster bolt from Zinzin's automated security turrets in the process. The PCs ultimately find themselves on the roof of Zinzin's fort, unknowingly being stalked by the Verpines pet verbutlers. A battle ensues. And despite Roquan being clawed deeply on the back, the PCs make quick work of zin Zin's guard animals. As the fight concludes, Muki applies some gauze and pain relief to Vod and jabs a stim pack in her own leg. Roquan tends to his wounds. There is a the sound of generators turning on. The group explores the roof. Muki finds a button that says, Vent All. She pauses a moment and then presses it. All of the chimneys on the roof suddenly begin belching out tons of thick smoke. The party holds their collective breath as the smoke filters over the edges. In the din of the blasters and beastly howls emanating from the verberthler skirmish, the PCs fail to notice an airspeeder pulling up alongside the building's rooftop. From double doors at the far end of the roof, atop the catwalk overhead, a bipedal, chitinous creature emerges. He strolls within an arm's reach of the surprised Muki, standing on the catwalk from the previous fight. The new creature is wearing a red leather jacket with the Cordell's Chain Dragon logo. It's a Verpine. The Verpine. In a chittering voice with high-pitched tones, Zinzin Skyvo greets his guests. Welcome to my home. I doubt your scalps are worth much, but I hear the Imperials are looking for a band of rebels led by a cowboy and a weak-way slave. He tilts his head in the direction of an enormous hook and 2 aquilish thugs climbing onto the roof behind them. Welcome, boys. Surely you, you've met my friends before. He turns to Mookie as his deft hand snatches out and grabs her by the neck. Without looking, he tosses her back over the edge of the roof. By happenstance, a driver of a mattress truck is slowly cruising the lower streets, looking for a delivery address. Mookie lands miraculously on a mattress in the back, unconscious, as the truck drives off. Zinzin continues from the catwalk on the rooftop, looking down towards the intruders. "'You have two options!' Put down your weapons and help us test the argonite gas inside. Or, option two, we assist your souls in joining my recently departed pets. The verpine pearls out his blasters. I prefer option two, he quips as he releases laser blasts at the weak way. Fod flips away from the shots but plows into Ted, sending them both to the ground. The hulk lets out a roar and lunges towards Buck, swinging his fists. His wild haymaker of a swing goes flying past Buck, but his elbow catches Buck on the jaw, sending him spinning. Buck staggers to his feet and rushes around the chimney, firing his blaster at the hulk, striking him in the shoulder and burning his jacket. Roquan deftly flicks his hunting rifle to his shoulder, stabilizing the barrel on the rooftop housing. Firing, he blasts an Aquilish in the chest and off the rooftop. Ted pulls himself to his feet and fires his blaster into the Hulk's chest as Vaud flips to his feet, recovering his vibroglaive. He rushes the Hulk and swings at his shoulder, chopping into it like a stout tree. The Hulk roars and knocks him away. The remaining Aqualish takes advantage of the Weakway's blind spot and rushes in with brass knuckles, landing a solid hit. "'You want to get something done?' You gotta do it yourself, mutters Zinzin. He definitely moves along the upper catwalk towards Roquan, firing down at the Arcanian. The double blasts of his twin's guns burn across Roquan's face, scorching Roquan's cheek and ear. Zinzin lets out a victorious, chittering whoop, but fails to see the rusted holes in the walkway. He stumbles off the catwalk, landing on his back down on the rooftop. The enraged and bloodied hook grabs at the gash in his shoulder angrily turning to vod he kisses his knuckles and winds up a punch weak scum he swings plows past vod head into a generator as vod dodges causing the hook to stumble towards where buck is crouched buck runs from the hook shouting over his shoulder the hook lets out another roar and rushes buck he punches with his knuckles, striking buck in the mouth Splitting open a fearsome gash that gapes from the corner of his mouth and up to his cheek. Ted finds the opportunity to help his down friend, Roquan. He rushes over, pulls a stim pack, and jabs some healing back to into him. Roquan shakes the fog from his head, pulling himself up. Shouldering his hunting rifle, he lines up the enraged hulk lumbering over Buck and fires, striking a blast into his other shoulder. Vod pushes off from the Aqualish and rushes now towards Zinzin, who is prostrate on the ground from his fall and strikes Zinzin on the ground. Zinzin crawls away from Vod and manages to get to his feet. He runs towards the edge of the roof, pulling two grenades and lobbing them back over his head towards Ted. No one takes my quarries from me! The first grenade bursts into a yellowish spray creating a thick, sticky foam polymer on the rooftop up to Ted and Vod's waist, immobilizing them. The second grenade explodes second later into a rancid mist of Rakor venom, a poison extracted from the dark wolves of Srilur. Although Vod recognizes the toxin immediately, it does not prevent him and Ted from choking and heaving uncontrollably. Suck on that, you, you house robbers, taunts Zinzin. Roquan darts around the edges of the foam to a ladder and hurtles up to the catwalk. Atop the structure, he fires down on Zinzin. The blasts whiz by the verpine's head and into the venting structure, dropping the chimney pipe and pinning the gang leader. Buck dashes up to Ted and climbs up on the foam, trying desperately to free him. Vod and Ted are stuck, coughing, sputtering, and vomiting. The remaining Aqualish lets out an unintelligible blathering and fires at Roquan up on the catwalk. The battered hook has circled around the backside of a generator behind them. He grins and pulls out a neuronic whip. He flicks his arm and sends it cracking into Buck's ass. Trousers split. Buck angrily pulls his blaster and shoots at the hook, blasting through the other sleeve. Roquan redirects his gun at the hook as well and fires, blasting the hook in the windpipe. Blood spurts from his neck. He gurgles, clawing at his throat and collapses in a heap. Pushing the chimney wreckage off and standing up, Zinzin draws his pistols. He aims his guns at Ted. I told you you should have never stolen my quarry! Both blasts skip across his arms. Roquan yells at his comrades. Everybody aim at Zinzin! Ted levels his blaster, stabilizing it on a generator, and unleashes a volley of fire, striking Zinzin. Fod pulls his blaster rifle and also fires several more rounds into the Verpine. Buck deploys his sidearm as well, sending sparks across Zin's vision. Terrified for his life, the Verpine kicks in the booster of his boots and jets up and off from the rooftop, giving the party the double bird. See ya, suckers! He leaves a smoke trail as he careens towards the upper levels of Nar Shadda panting and gasping for breath at the end of the deadly encounter. The heroes search the body of the hook and find a neuronic whip, vibro knuckles, some credits wrapped in a gambling certificate, and a keycard. Using the newfound keycard, the PCs unlock Zinzin's hideout and enter, ransacking the place for clues relating to Vector. Towards this end, Buck approaches the galaxy map hanging on the wall. He sees an X near the Bestine system and a note stating, Most recent acquisition vector. Ted finds a terminal and hacks into the computer system. He flicks through the menus, searching for relevant information. The calendar mentions meeting with Imperials at DB1 for a prisoner transfer. This may be transferring Vector or some other bounty, Ted thinks. Ted quickly navigates over to the bounty's subfolder on Zinzin's computer. Padma O. Human. 2,500 credits bounty. Dead or 5,000 credits Bounty. Alive. Imperial bounty. Infochant. Likely BSN. Tank 4. Hold for Fortuna's guys. Potential ransom and bidding more. Nitrogen 23%, oxygen 5%, CO2 3%, H2O 23%. Critically injured in acquisition. Difficult recess. Ted pauses at this last entry. Hmm. Padma. Critically injured in acquisition. This could be her. Hey guys, check this out. I think we may have found Vector. Elsewhere, a junky-ass mattress truck is speeding through the outskirts of the Karelian sector. It parks so the driver can urinate. Mookie awakens. Getting her bearings, she hops down and off the truck. She calls Trippy. She asks for a pickup and return to the slag pit area. In a few moments, Mookie has rejoined her team as all the PCs continue to search Zin-Zin's abode for where he is imprisoning Vector. Vector, known also as their detective work has now discovered as Padma O. Oh. Ted and Vod eventually discover a door in the ceiling and go to inspect, ultimately cracking the keypad and finding themselves and the other PCs in an attic room, foggy and humid. In the cramped confines, four frozen bodies. Alarms are blaring. There has been a malfunction in this jury-rigged gas chamber. Each of the frozen figures are connected to hoses, and front panels flash red lights. The vent alarm warning. Muki scans the equipment, recognizing it to be similar to carbonite stasis. After conferring briefly, the PCs decide to thaw them out here and now. Muki goes to work on one of the blocks. The block starts turning orange, pulsating. Air and vitality warning lights start flashing with increasing urgency. Muki thaws the character out completely as it crumples into Vod's arms, lifeless. Ted thaws another, the Shistevin. The Shistevin also falls out dead into Vod's arms. Realizing the thaws are not working, Muki goes to a control panel nearby to reestablish gas volumes in the tubes, as lack of gas appears to be part of the problem. She curses herself for previously venting the gas on the rooftop earlier. Returning to the frozen figures, Mookie decides to thaw Padma O. I think this one's Vector, states Ted. We better get this right. The block starts blinking, turning red, then melting away. As it's melting, a recognizable face begins to emerge. It's the face from the video of Vector. She crumples out towards Roquan, but he fails to catch her, and she slams into the ground. Vod yells to Mookie, Help her! That's Vector! Crumpled on the ground, Vector is breathing with a lot of difficulty. Mookie quickly jabs a stim pack into her chest. The left side of her face is completely burnt, and she has deep gashes along her face and upper torso. Her left eye is burnt shut. Her clothing is scorched. Her hand is stripped of all skin, revealing skeletal tendons and burnt muscle. On her blackened forearm, there is a turquoise bracelet still intact. Vector's breathing becomes agonal. Where am I? She managed to gasp hoarsely between breaths. I can't see. Where am I? Where's my sister? Her breathing becomes raspy and labored. My sister, nuts it can't end here. Tell my sister, I love her. Her head slumps and she stops breathing. Her pulses space out and stop. Vector, Padma O, is dead. Vod scans her over and notes a bracelet on her wrist. He turns to find everyone, staring aghast. What? Jewelry has a track record of providing clues. Geesh. He takes the bracelet from her dead body and examines it carefully. The central stone pivots. Rolled up inside is a metallic card that can snap into form. Vod grabs it and notes this hand-sized metallic rectangle is deep blue with angled white lines. There is a wreath enshrouded starfield pictured in the upper left corner. Curious, Vod says. Suddenly, Zinzin's reinforcements arrive, led by a vicious arcona. A fight ensues, Zinzin's apartment catching fire in the blaster exchange. Ted is nearly killed by a frag grenade blast. Vod is deeply wounded by a particularly angry blaster bolt, to the distal alimentary tract, causing a stinking and oozing chasm of the flesh. Under cover fire by Roquan, the Arcanian sharpshooter wielding his rifle, the PCs are able to grab Ted's unconscious form and escape into the waiting taxi cab of the brave cabbie, Trippy Winston. The six of them speed away the burning wreckage of the hut-owned hideout of the verpine bounty hunter Zinzin Zin Skyvo lingering in the distance. Though the PCs were unable to save Vector, the card Vaad found in her jewelry will prove, with any luck, to hold vital clues. The heroes regroup, recover, and heal at Queen Bacta Clinic with Muki when they receive a message on their encrypted hollow communicator. It is Ember, urgent. Once Vector Intelligence acquired, rendezvous immediately at the Vergesso Drift, Alcyon's Nest, a quartet of Snivian suicides, each bloodied, then broken, then brainless, then burnt. Now rested, the adventurers decide to thank their newfound comrade Muki and her clinic Queen Bacta for the hospitality and healing. They agree to a side mission to rob a nearby Imperial Hospital of supplies to divert the Queen back to Queen Bacta Clinic and its mission to provide free care to the lesser advantaged Narshada residents. Unfortunately, in this misadventure, the PCs are trailed home by Imperial security forces, and ultimately, Muki finds her clinic burned and destroyed via brutal local imperial justice. A cue, all the PCs agree, that their stay on Nar is at its end. And sensing important rebel duties remain, the heroes head back to the Dewey at its docking bay to leave this planet moon and to seek a rendezvous with Ember at the Vergesso Drift. To their dismay, an unwelcome sight greets the PCs as they enter the large open area of Docking Bay 24 intent on leaving the smuggler's moon. In front of the heroes, there is an Imperial officer standing between them and their ship. Who says the Huts and Imperials can't cooperate? When we have common interest, mutual cooperation can be beneficial. You can forfeit your weapons and goods. Two Imperial troops flank out along with a familiar Arconian wearing a Cordal's chain jacket, Leaping down from an imperial ship to land right in front of the PCs is a hideous beast. Standing up to its full height is an eight-foot-tall Kinton Strider, holding a massive but crude stone club. Its belly is branded with the Cordol's chain symbol. It lets out a roar and slams the club onto the metal decking. "'I believe you have something we're looking for. It's not smart to steal from a hut.' says the Arconian. Aiming his weapon, Ted's hand flicks to his utility belt and quickly flings a frag grenade landing at the feet of the Imperials. The nearest trooper quickly tries to smother it and is blown to pieces in a splash of gore. Roquan, ears ringing, points to the Arconian. That's the guy that wrecked Vod's ass and made the whole taxi cab smell like poodoo. Get him! Guns leveled, Roquan fires at the Arconan, blasting him in the back. The Arconan stumbles but manages to squeeze off several shots at Roquan, sending him diving for cover. Muki tosses a knockout grenade at the Arconan gangbanger, dropping him in fits of twitching and spasm. The Kinton Strider leaps forward, swinging his club at Vod, smashing him in the chest, sending him flying. Fod quickly recovers his footing and charges in, swinging at the Strider's leg and cutting a large gash in his shin. We need help in Docking Bay 24, immediately, cries the officer into her comms. She levers her gun at Ted, blasting him in the ankle, dropping him to his knees. But quickly draws his X-30 Lancer blaster pistol, firing at the officer and scorching her neck. Ted pulls himself to his feet and dashes towards his ship. The remaining trooper spots him. He's trying to get away, and fires at Ted. He misses but hits the ship's external control panel. Sparks explode, locking the boarding ramp down into place. The officer also fires at Ted as he opens the door of the DeWay, blasting Ted in the back and dropping him a second time. Buck sees Ted drop, smoke rising from his back. He aims and fires again at the officer, striking her through the left ear this time, sending her brain sizzling across the outer hall of the DeWay. Roquan finishes off the remaining Imperial with a blast to the neck as Ted limps to the cockpit, firing up the ship's systems. Muki scampers towards Vod, who is battling the towering Kinton Strider beast. Pulling out a stun grenade, she hurls it at the Strider as it swings for Vod. The gran- grenade explodes in its ear, knocking it off its feet, dazed. Regaining its footing, the raging Kinton Strider bellows as it leaps forward towards Muki, swinging its club. The stone weapon smashes her back through the air across the landing pad. Muki pulls herself up off the ground and staggers towards the ship, fearing another strike of that magnitude will kill her. Seeing his prey flee, he lumbers to the ramp of the ship, swinging again at Muki. She ducks under his swing, which smashes into the ramp's hydraulics, jamming it. Roquan positions himself at a distance and fires back towards the Kinton Strider. The heavy blast sears off part of its arm. Immediately, the dangling sinew of its shoulder wriggles about and the surrounding skin quivers. Roquan stares in horror as the Kintan's arm starts to heal itself. Fod takes one look at the healing beast and runs into the ship. We're gonna need a bigger cannon, he yells, grabbing a seat at the heavy guns. Buck fires several more shots at the seemingly unstoppable foe, striking it in the face. It bellows again, but does not slow. Muki rushes inside to the ramp control panel, attempting emergency repairs. The wires spark as power is returned. Roquan continues to put distance between himself and the strider, firing from his distance position. Through the scope, he hits another amazing long-distance blast, taking another chunk out of its leg as it pushes its way to the ship entrance, pursuing Mookie. The Kinton strider ducks its head as it enters the doorway from the ramp, trapping Mookie against the wall. The massive stone hammer comes crushing down. Somehow, she managed to roll between its legs, avoiding the enraged swing that smashes the control panel, slamming the cockpit blast doors shut. Hearing that the beast actually entered the ship, VOD rushes back down from the gunnery chair, defiantly swinging his vibro axe at the strider. He slices across its chest, sending it stumbling back. Horrified, Vod watches the skin and flesh repair itself like an orchestrated dance of Srilurian sand spiders. From the cockpit, Ted throws his ship into reverse. He's determined to rid his freighter of unwanted cargo. In a desperate maneuver, Ted pulls hard to starboard while engaging the dorsal stabilizers and starboard landing thrusters. The Dawai tilts up, pirouetting on its side. Miraculously, as the ship banks above Battlefield, the Strider falls out of the open portal, past the ramp, and crashes down onto its neck on the landing bay deck. Mookie and Vod slide into an interior wall, but manage to hang on. As Ted levels the ship back out, Mookie immediately heads to the jammed pneumatic ramp joist and hammers it straight, allowing the ramp to completely close. The Kinton Strider roars. Clambers to its feet and launches itself at the first thing it sees buck roquan fires his blaster again slamming concentrated laser fire into the kinton strider's solid head the head only bobbles at the blasts terrified buck runs past the strider towards the ship firing back over his shoulder at the behemoth the blast hit the stone head of the hammer sending a jolt to the strider's arm its three fingers spasm and it drops its weapon Back on the ship's cannons, Vod fires a tremendous volley at the Strider. The metal flooring around the Kinton feet melts and curls, but the cannon volley misses the creature. Ted tips the Dway around into an ideal position, lining up another shot for Vod. The weak infiltrator releases a salvo of fire at the Kinton Strider. Multiple blasts land squarely on target, and the Kinton Strider explodes like a melon, sending steaming beast chunks across the docking bay. Dropping the ship only long enough to pick up Roquan and Buck, Ted banks the Dewey skyward and throws the engines to full. Over the smoking remains of a Kinton Strider, the Dewey takes off. Mookie pulls up her comms and informs Ted of the location of the Imperial TIE facility overhead. Let's avoid any more Imperial entanglements, okay? Over the comms comes a voice Wayfarer class freighter leaving docking bay 24. You are under orders from the Galactic Empire to land immediately. A voice crackles over the ship's comms. Failure to comply will result in your destruction. A similar chittering voice interrupts. Can it, Imps? That bird is mine. You have something of mine to weigh. Land now or I'll turn you over to the huts. Scolds a voice now familiar to the group as Zinzin Skyvo. As the Dewey races away from the docking bay, Muki checks the ship scanners and sees a blip aft and another aft and starboard. Ted picks up speed, and they are blazing through buildings weaving between the towers of the Karelian sector of Nar Shadda. An Imperial Lambda-class shuttle and the YT-2000 freighter belonging to Zinzin Skyvo are attempting to close the distance. The Imperial ship speeds up on the port side. If you will not land now, you will be disabled and destroyed says the Lambda-class shuttled, that away doesn't slow. So be it, the Lambda shuttle arcs in, firing its light laser cannons on the front of the shuttle. The blast skids off the aft shields. Mookie hops on the ship's computer, working furiously. The Imperial on the comm is cut off mid-sentence as Mookie jams their comms. On the starboard side, the YT-2000 freighter also pulls up and fires. I'll get you, yells Zinzin. There's a large explosion in the back of the ship. The DeWay lurches off course. Buck jumps into a seat next to Ted to help co-pilot and regain control. Roquan also staggers down the hall to cockpit of the teetering freighter to help steer the ship back onto course. The shuttle gunner fires, sending plasma blasts just over the freighter's cargo pod. Vod leaves the gunnery seat bounding to the back of the ship. Pipes near the thrusters are spewing coolant internally. Vod manages to haul a damaged pipe back into place, restoring some function. Ted yanks at the yoke and pulls the Dewey back under control. A guttural growl sounds on the intercoms and another salvo of fire shoots from the YT-2000 freighter, Zinzin's ship. Ted deftly barrel rolls the massive freighter, avoiding a direct hit. The Lambda shuttle fires again from behind as well, striking the Deway. Ted pushes the ship up and out of the buildings, further along the flight path, taunting Zin-Zin over comms while Mookie hops onto the nav computer, punching in coordinates to calculate the jump to the Vergesso drift. Zin-Zin's cackle is heard over the ship's speakers as he fires again, smashing the electronical control system of the DeWay's underside, creating severe power fluctuations. The lights flicker on and off and the ship begins to vibrate unsteadily. Buck hops on the comms. Whoa, whoa, Easy! We left a gift for you back at Queen Bacta. We don't deserve this treatment. Ha! The verpine replies. We'll loot your ship, then go back to Queen Bacta and loot there, too. Bug shrugs at the crew. He didn't take the bait, guys. The shuttle peels around and fires another volley missing over the top of the ship. Vod runs back to the gun turret. He spins the gun right and left, trying to change the firing arc to point towards the rear. Failing, he angrily spews blaster fire across the front firing arc in a withering barrage. He only strikes a neon drink-hut-cola sign, sending a shower of sparks over the pursuing ships. Zinzin's YT-2000 freighter fires again and blast, breaks off a piece of the hull of the Deway, soaring across the front of the shuttle and knocking it off course. Ted's nose is directly upwards and punches the throttle. As they clear the atmosphere of Shaddaa, there are other ships and satellites seen in low orbit. The Lambda continues with its withering rain of fire, striking the crippled Dewey. Ted pushes their freighter engines to its limits, trying to put even more distance between the Dewey and its pursuers. The Lambda shuttle is able to keep up. Muki pulls off a panel in the region of the shield generator. She pulls and reconnects several wires, a loud hum. Larger than the engine roar is heard as the aft shields boost to full power. We've got some shields, boys, exclaims Mookie. Vod lets go of the guns and begins to pray to Quay. Sleeping now, huda assholes, Zinzin fires at the fleeing ship. Surprisingly, the boosted shields reflect the blast, creating an unusual blinding light. Buck pulls the comms in to Zinzin. If you try to chase us down, we will kill every last one of you and I will come down personally and kill your little doggies, and then I'll kill you. Zinzin just laughs, continuing his barrage of fire. The blast strikes a juiced-up to aft shields, but do not hit the precariously weakened hull. Ted hears the nav computer beeping furiously as it finishes the calculations to the jump to light speed. He reaches for the controls and punches them. The Wayfarer-class freighter hyperdrive engages, and the DeWay leaps away in a blur leaving now Huda and its moon, Narshida behind.